What happens to Adam and Eve? It's called the fall. But God hasn't let go of them. And so he institutes what he, what he calls a covenant with one man called Abraham. And he says to him, through you, I'm going to bless through your family, I'm going to bless a nation. And through the nation, I'm going to bless the world. And as God outworks this commitment to humanity, to the world, through his covenant promise of grace, he forms his people in the wilderness. And here's what he says. If you do what I say, if you listen to my advice, don't kill each other. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal each other's things. Don't worship things made by human hands, which we call idols. That wouldn't make any sense at all. Things that you can put in your pocket or on your shelf or in modern day, maybe a trinket that hangs from a rearview mirror in a car that you pray superstitiously to occasionally. Worship the living Lord of heaven and earth. If you do these things, then you'll live. And if you don't, you won't. And it's as simple as that. And the reality is that God's people don't. <laughs> they don't. The happy ending of the story often is think, well, they must do it. And they don't do it. But God's covenant, his commitment to them, holds. How? How is that possible? If God says, do these things and you'll live, don't do these things and you won't, how do they continue to live when they constantly take their hands out of God's hand and say, thank you, we've got it from here, we'll go our own way? And yet in the wilderness, God's commitment to them is unshakable, unswerving, and unbreakable. And here's how. Jesus, through what we've just read, Jesus enters the wilderness where God's people enter the wilderness. And where God's people said no to God, Jesus says yes. And where God's people fail God, Jesus' faithfulness stands with God. And where God's people got nervous at times, understandably, because we're just like them, there's no food, there's no water. Where are we going to find our daily bread? How are we going to live? What about our children? I wish we could be back in Egypt. I want to be in the place where I was, where it was safe and sound. Jesus stands in the wilderness and says, you don't live by bread alone. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. And I'll only worship the Lord. Jesus rewalks and re-steps our steps into the wilderness and stands where we fall and lives where we often embrace patterns of sin and death in our lives. But here's the next thing. There's a bigger wilderness than the wilderness. John chapter 19 has this incredible moment where we read that finally Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. And from that moment on, the soldiers took charge of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, for the people of God, when they were hard-pressed by the Egyptian army, the Red Sea parted. They were saved. When they had no food, God provided manna for them in the desert. They were saved. 
when they had no water. Moses struck a a rock and water emerged. They were saved. When they couldn't see where they were going, God, God, God was present to them in a pillar of fire by day and a cloud of fire by night and cloud by day. They were saved. When Joshua enters the land of Canaan and is surrounded by hostile armies and tribes, time and time again, God saves them. When David faces an enormous giant called Goliath, God saves him. When Saul is wanting David dead, God saves him. When David's own son Absalom betrays him, God saves him. When Daniel enters the lion's den, God saves him. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego enter the fiery furnace, God saves them. And we love these stories because they tell us that God saves. But when Pilate hands Jesus over to the soldiers, God does not save Jesus. When Jesus cries out at his last, Lord, why have you forsaken me? There's no Red Sea moment. There's no lion's den. There's no fiery furnace. And so the new wilderness that Jesus enters means that we can now stand in the wilderness and not be abandoned. Where Jesus is abandoned, we are embraced. Where Jesus is forsaken on the cross, we are found. Where Jesus has been cast out, we are brought in. And where Jesus is obedient to death, we in our disobedience experience life. The wilderness is the place where God forms us and reforms us to remember that he is a God whose covenant commitments and promises to us are unswerving, unwavering, and unbreakable. And the reason is because Jesus walks in faith into the jaws of death so that we can walk in life even when we stumble and fall. This Lent, let's give thanks for the wilderness because it speaks of God's covenant promise of grace. And lastly, very quickly, out of the wilderness, Jesus announces the kingdom of God, God, the good news of the gospel. Chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. It's good news to the poor. We should know this by half right now, because we've been spending five weeks there. It's It's a kingdom that binds up the brokenhearted, proclaims freedom for the captives, release from darkness from the prisoners, comforts all who mourn, It provides for those who grieve. It bestows on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair, and they will be called oaks of righteousness. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated, renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Here's the question. Do they need the good news out there? Yeah, they do. But does that mean that we don't need the good news in here? No, we do. Jesus said, unless you receive water every day, unless you feast on my daily bread every day, you won't be in a position to offer the water and the bread of life to those who desperately need it. So here's the thing. This Lent, let's make sure that we receive before we try and give out. Let's let go of heroic narratives. 
placing ourselves at the center of the story, that we somehow have something to offer in ourselves because we don't. But in Jesus, we have an unbelievable Savior. And when we let Jesus minister to our brokenness and our pain and our poverty, something remarkable happens. The kingdom of God breaks out in our midst. And it's good news. It's astonishing good news. Baptism adopted into God's family. Children, not slaves. Wilderness formed into his likeness. Reminded of his covenant promise of grace. An announcement proclaiming a person, not a message. The kingdom of God, which is Jesus is Lord. Let me pray as we, as we land. Uh, for us as a church, for me personally, I always pray, pray this for myself first and for us as a church and then for the church of God. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Make us not to turn Lent into a spiritually improving time. Make us to embrace Lent for what it is. An unbelievable demonstration of your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you stepped into a wilderness we will never, ever experience because you were handed over. You were abandoned. And you were forgotten so that we will never be abandoned, handed over or forgotten. We thank you that in this building, this church right now, on the stained glass windows, we're surrounded by people who lived in light of that gospel. A couple who lost a kid before she was two. The pain of that is unimaginable. Inscribed over there on the stained glass window. And yet knowing that it is to such as those that the kingdom of God is given. Memorials to those who've given their lives in battle and yet who held fast to your word. And we pray that we in our turn here at St. Saviour's in Finsbury Park would take up the mantle, pick up the baton and start running with all we've got towards you, Father, as saying yes and amen to your goodness, your faithfulness and your love. We give you this Lent Remind us who we are by reminding us who you are and lead us on. Amen. When I saw